Come on in and have a seat, stranger. Welcome back to the Loading Bar Podcast. If this is your first time on the premises, let me give you the rundown of how the establishment works. I provide the free service of knowledge that takes the form of the history and development of video games, as well as signature cocktails, sometimes classics, sometimes contemporary, but always with a side of history. Tonight, I want to pose four questions to you. Do you like hurting other people? Who is leaving messages on your answering machine? Where are you right now? Why are we having this conversation? You probably can't answer any of these questions and are possibly feeling confused or accused, so let me clear any confusion up by saying that these questions are posed to the main character of tonight's featured game, Hotline Miami. A neon-soaked, top-down, isometric indie game that blurs the lines of morality, sanity, and humanity as you take control of a nameless character who dons various animal masks and decides to take vigilante justice out on 1980s mobsters. But why? For what reason causes you to rage against them? That's part of the game's mystery as you bash your way through apartment complexes and nightclubs. This was actually my very first Steam purchase, all the way back in the summer of 2012, during the wallet-emptying Steam summer sale. Actually, there were a few more purchases to go along with that one, but it was definitely the first one I played. It's the Steam summer sale. You can't just stop at one. Shit's too cheap! That summer was a particularly video gamey one for me. I was working at an EB Games after my first term of university, and I was super stoked, only to realize that I would not be making bank, and I would lose a lot of money due to a 15% discount for working at the store. Definitely not a fiscally responsible time for me. After the first hour of playing, I was pretty surprised with how a pixelated, top-down shooter could be so gory and effective at showing violence. It was like you were playing as a 1980s slasher movie killer, but instead of horny teens, you were slaughtering mobsters. It's almost like a puzzle game, actually. You have to figure out how to take out an entire room of guys without getting killed yourself, and one hit and it's completely over for you. Every time I die, I hop right back into it trying to clear the challenge. So jump into a DeLorean and let's cut through the streets of Miami like a neon-drenched knife in the dark as we learn about how this game was created. And to start off, let's fix ourselves a stiff drink. Tonight's drink hit the heights of its popularity in the 1980s, though it was originally created in the 60s. This is the Alabama Slammer, and was possibly inspired by a completely different drink that was both from Alabama and could actually be slammed. According to Difford's Guide, one of the earliest accounts of this drink can be traced back to the University of Alabama and was served as a shot that evolved into the cocktail we know today. To make the Alabama Slammer, you will need 1 ounce Slow Gin, 1 ounce Amaretto, 1 ounce Southern Comfort, 2 ounces Orange Juice. Add the Southern Comfort, Slow Gin, and Orange Juice to a shaker with ice and shake until well chilled. Strain into a highball glass over fresh ice. You can serve this as a shot, too, by dividing it into shot glasses. Garnish with an orange wedge. Difford's Guide explained that the first appearance of this cocktail was in the 1971 edition of the Playboy Bartender's Guide by Thomas Mario. The biggest difference with that recipe was the lack of slow gin, 
for use of curacao and sugar, and was only written as the Alabama. The drink was huge on 1980s campuses as it was featured in the 1988 film Cocktail as part of Tom Cruise's World's Last Barman Poet speech. Its presentation changed in the 1990s as V-shaped martini glasses became super popular and replaced the straight glass it originally was served in. Now that we have our cool-ass 1980s drinks, we can continue this review as cool-ass 1980s people. Hotline Miami was created by Jonathan Soderstrom and Dennis Wedden, who together formed the indie game studio Denaton Games. It was published by Devolver Digital, who usually end up publishing interesting games like this. It was released October 23, 2012 for Windows only. It would not see console releases for another year, starting with the PlayStation 3 and the PlayStation Vita on June 25, 2013. The PlayStation 4, August 19, 2014, Nintendo Switch, August 19, 2019, and Xbox One, April 7, 2020. It's almost been 10 years since its release, and I still think mouse and keyboard is the best way to play this. Soderstrom is a Swedish game developer that has been tinkering with designing games as early as 18, and Hotline Miami was actually birthed from the prototype of an unreleased title, called Super Carnage. Much of the game remained unfinished due to programming issues, and was shelved. Pre-Hotline Miami, Soderstrom actually has quite a list of smaller games he's worked on, which is well over 40 titles. Soderstrom's philosophy on game development was questioned in a 2016 interview with Game Talk, where he states, Variation can be good, but so can consistency. When I make games, I try to keep them unified and to the point, so I don't drift too far off. It's also one of the reasons most of my games are so short. When I feel like I want to turn the game in a new direction, I usually explore that new direction in a separate game instead. As a player of said games, I for one do appreciate the sacrifice of length for output, as long as the quality doesn't suffer, which, in the case of Denaton, is usually not a problem. So that's one half of Denaton. And what about the other? Wedden met Soderstrom during a collaboration for a game titled Keyboard Drum Set Fucking Werewolf, where you play a series of musical mini-games that the band scored themselves, along with Soderstrom's gritty, pixelated art style, creating a fucking fever dream experience. Seriously, any explanation I give will not do it justice. Go check it out for yourself. After their collaborations, the two decided that they needed to commercially release a game because of mounting financial difficulties. And like Lazarus from the ashes, Super Carnage was brought back from the dead. They both saw a lot of potential in this prototype and chose to expand upon its gameplay, giving it an overarching David Lynch-style story that the player discovers as they progress. There were many influences that inspired Hotline Miami, such as the films Drive, Cocaine Cowboys, and Kick-Ass, Cocaine Cowboys in particular inspired the entire setting of the game, being 1980s Miami. Some of the marketing for the game was really cool too, such as an actual hotline connected in Miami, Florida, that people could call and leave voice messages to, just like the protagonist in the game. The music for the game was incredible and really captured that synthy 1980s vibe. Reception for Hotline was huge, with journalists giving scores no lower than 8 out of 10, 
It even received several awards, such as Best PC Sound, Best Action Game, Best PC Story, Best PC Game, and Best New IP. Okay, so let me try to explain the gameplay as best I can. You control Jacket, the nameless protagonist of the game, from a top-down perspective, but like directly top-down. You look at the environment like someone cut the roof of a building off, and you move around from room to room like this. It might be a little weird at first, but it actually becomes really fluid, and you can clear out rooms of enemies in like seconds. The game starts off with a quick tutorial where a homeless man teaches you everything you need to know about playing the game. You meet three mysterious figures in animal masks, a rooster named Richard who's dressed just like you, an owl in a leisure suit named Rasmus, and a horse in a dress named Don Juan. They each take turns bombarding you with dialogue, taking you back to the first time you received a mysterious voicemail. Each level is broken up into chapters, and with each one, you start with a new mask, and usually just your bare hands. It's very reminiscent of the early 2010s horse mask trend that was weirdly popular for a time. Each mask has a special ability with it, like adding more guns, starting off with certain weapons, or adding challenge to the player, like reversing controls or darkening the field of vision so you can't see who is in the next room. The goal of each chapter is to kill everyone. And despite your appearance, this isn't some trashy 80s slasher movie with teens to pick off. Each enemy is armed with melee weapons or guns, and you will die in a single hit. Melee weapons are quiet and don't alert enemies, but guns will bring the fury of the Russian Mafia sprinting towards you to kick your ass. So get used to dying, as it can actually be helpful to test out what routes to take that are safe, and what enemies are going to respond to you. You have a variety of abilities to kill these guys, such as walking through doors just as an enemy passes in front of them in order to knock them down to the ground. Then you get on top of them and you finish the job. You can sneak up behind guys and tear out their throats, throw knives for a chance to insta-kill, and take guys hostage as shields for bullets. It's completely brutal. As you progress through the game, so too does the difficulty progress. You find new weapons in these chapters and can unlock new ones as well for different playthroughs. There are occasionally bosses that change up the gameplay too, and are definitely a shock to the system after getting used to what is normally expected of you. For example, one early boss is wearing a bulletproof vest and can only take damage from shotguns. He'll just run through everything else and kill you instantly. Afterwards, you'll run into regular enemies with the same shtick, so making sure you have access to shotguns is crucial. Your performance is also scored and graded after completing a chapter with criteria like combos, door slams, boldness, mobility, flexibility, etc. Do I know what some of these categories mean? Not really, but if you want to be a completionist, then you'll want to know so that you can get all A's for an achievement. After completing the game, you can go back with all of the masks you've unlocked and try to beat your personal best. Also, if you have a keen eye, wink wink, you can find little hidden secrets that take the form of letters. These letters spell out a password that you have the opportunity to input at a certain part in the game that further explains the story. Hotline Miami takes place in the year 1989, where late night pizza, VHS palaces, and 24-hour convenience stores reign supreme. Actually, that's not too far off from the amenities today. 
just no rental stores. We begin by following the mysterious journey of our nameless protagonist, known only as Jacket, because of this character's letterman jacket that he is always wearing. Jacket has a strange cryptic meeting with three animal mask wearing characters who all take turns berating and questioning him. Each of these mask wearing individuals represents someone in Jacket's life, as we will soon see. None more obvious than Richard the Rooster, who wears the exact same clothes as you. He takes Jacket back to the night they met, where a voicemail was left on his answering machine to deliver some cookies to a specific location and a package was left on his doorstep containing the rooster mask. Jacket heads to the location in his DeLorean, dons the mask, and begins to kill everyone at the location. And by everyone, I mean Russian mobsters. Jacket leaves with a briefcase that he dead drops into a dumpster, but is then spotted by a tutorial homeless man with a baseball bat. Jack kills him, and the toll of the night's carnage finally catches up with him as he wretches in an alley. The messages continue to come, night by night, mask by mask, and as you continue through each chapter, you see that there are actually others like you with animal masks who have either died on the job or are in the middle of one, whatever the job is. Each mask is given a different name because it's not you doing these horrible, heinous things, it's someone else, right? Of course not. And in between each voicemail adventure, you get a decent pep talk from your best friend in the whole wide world, Beard. As you run into him working at every store in town. You order a pizza? Beard's got your back. You need to return some videotapes? Beard will process that for you. You need a stiff drink after a long day of brutal murder and mayhem. Beard will ask, shaken or stirred. Do you see where we're going with Jacket here? Jacket gets a call to make another delivery to the home of a movie producer who has a captive and drugged up woman in his private quarters, and after taking out the mobsters, sets his sight on the sleazy producer. Jacket shows probably the first act of compassion in the game by rescuing her from this hell, and over the course of the story, nurses her back to health. Things start to get complicated though as Jacket is sent to stop another masked killer, Biker from tracking down the location of where the phone calls are coming from. Jacket stops him, but his mental state continues to deteriorate as he begins hallucinating corpses in place of everyday people. Even Beard can't escape the carnage and is killed off, possibly signaling Jacket's spiral into madness. Jacket continues to heed the voicemails in an attempt to figure out where they are coming from himself but he gets found out, and a man in a rat mask named Richter shows up, kills Jacket's girlfriend, and fills him with lead, believing him dead. But this doesn't stop you, it just pisses you off. And now they've made it personal, whoever they are. Conspiracies, lies, Cold War tensions, and janitors are at the heart of this mystery. And before the final confrontation, you will know the truth. The rest, I leave up to you, oh potential player of this game, as I always believe in hyping up my audience to try them out for themselves. Hotline Miami was a lot of things to me. My first introduction to Steam, a budding love for 80s culture and synth music, and the first indie game that I had ever really played. I think that the art style of the game was an interesting choice to translate the hyper-violent nature of the game, but surprisingly works very well. It's one of the simplest games you could play, 
and what keeps you coming back for more after beating it is the same thing that probably hooks phone app puzzle game players. It's quick to hop into and satisfying to look at. Clearly the junk food equivalent of video games. But there is so much more here than meets the eye, and the little bits of story you get leave you with more questions and open interpretations that leave you to fill in the blanks yourself. That is, of course, until you play the second game. Yes, Hotline Miami does have a sequel, and follows up on the events of the first game with new characters to wreak glorious carnage with, and old characters that get some spotlight and some of the questions from the last game answered. I would absolutely recommend both, especially for PC. But if you really want it on console, then you have a variety of platforms to play it on, even iOS. That takes care of another episode of The Loading Bar, my friends. I hope the Alabama Slammer was everything you hoped for, and that you're not too slammed to enjoy the rest of the night. Please go check out my link tree to find all my social media dwellings, and please feel free to email me anytime regarding questions, collabs, comments, or just to say hey. Remember to drink responsibly, everyone, and I'll see you next week.